The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahiroi. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've given us your word where we can learn about who you are um, and how you love us so much. Um, Lord, I just pray that you give us hearts to, to learn today. Um, that you would show us things about who you are, that you'd speak through Trevor. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Brooke. Good morning, Grace City. Again, perfect. Happened in the 9 a.m. I was really, I was excited about it. So cool. So my name's Trevor. Um, If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the leaders here at Grace City. I help with our pastoral care. So I'll be filling in for Randall um, this week, preaching, as we continue our series, The Gospel in Genesis. This week we're going to be, it's kind of a hard topic, we're going to be walking through the life of Isaac, is uh, uh, the last portion of Genesis we've been walking through the life of Abraham, so now we're going to the life of Isaac, and today we're going to be paying specific attention to the life of Isaac as his father passes away. A few weeks ago, um, Randall spoke a message entitled, Walking Through Loss. And it was speaking to the loss of a wife to her husband, Sarah to Abraham. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast, I, I definitely recommend that you, uh, you take time to listen to that. Um, so our message today, is, it's, it's different from that. It's about not just grief itself, but dis- discovering new life and loss. So if you've been coming to Grace City for any length of time, really, even if just this is your first Sunday, and if that's the case, we're so happy to have you here with us. Um, we talk about our vision a lot. And our vision, as uh, we share every Sunday, is we want to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. Today, our our, our message will very much so resonate with the last phrasing in that vision, to seek new life in Jesus. And that's so much more than conversion. And we always continue to need new new life in Christ, my prayer that is that in the suffering you are experiencing, maybe right now, you have experienced, or you're looking back on it retrospectively, or just knowing that we're human and suffering's going to happen, maybe this is also a message to equip you and prepare you to know how to uh, handle that in more constructive and healthy ways. But the importance is to see that in Christ there is new life new meaning, new purpose, a new conceptualization of suffering, but namely loss. 
and even more specific to loss, the loss of a parent. This passage and topic, uh, it definitely strikes home for me. A significant chapter of my personal walk with Jesus and spiritual formation, it dealt with this very subject, losing a parent. When I was in my early 20s, and I just graduated from Bible college with my bachelor's, uh, my, my father passed away not too long after that. My father, uh, he had a long battle in addiction, and in his words, uh, just a horrible depression. And the way that he medicated, the way that he handled that depression was that he medicated it with heavy, heavy alcohol abuse. And complications due to the alcohol abuse is what took his life. And he barely saw 50. And the even sadder part to that story is that that was the same story as his father. His father barely saw 50 as well. Alcohol abuse, among others. And for my father, that was the last thing in the, the, last thing in the world he wanted was to be like his old man. So why do I share this story with you? When we talk about loss or even just generalized suffering, we so often approach it with the wrong lens. So often we only talk about the end. So often we only talk about the immovable darkness that follows death. Dallas Willard, as he speaks about suffering, said that the question is not how will I get through this, that's the question we ask, but the, the better question is what can I take from this or how do I learn from this? Let's pause there for a moment. The question, how will I get through this? For a lot of us, that's the question we ask when we're going through these kinds of things. And that question, how will I get through this, is a question of survival. It's a question of self-reliance. We want to be in control. We want to be in charge. And our culture resonates with that. Just think about it for a moment. Uh, Life hacks, TED Talks, podcasts, the quick takeaway to be all better on your own strength. We eat up the self-help gospel. And the truth is you can't make it by yourself. And that's a good thing. There's an irony to it that in a loss of interpersonal relationship, we believe that we can heal from it purely intrapersonally. And that's just not how it works. And the last part of what, of what Dallas Willard says, what can you learn from loss? Or more rightly so, what is God teaching you through loss? Viktor Frankl's life work, it delves into this very question. Frankl was a Holocaust survivor through the Nazi concentration camps during World War II. Now, Frankl, uh, if you're not a psych major, uh, was a psychiatrist, psychologist um, during this time. 
and did what you would expect anyone like that to do and how they would process uh, suffering. So he basically did a case study. In the concentration camps, Viktor Frankl saw death and justice and every bad thing you can imagine. And Frankl's work, if you're not familiar, Man's Search for Meaning, Logotherapy, he, he had a lot of contributions in his lifetime. But the questions of who can survive, one, and two, how does one survive such an atrocity? And what do you think his findings were? Was it the strongest person that survived the death camps, the most popular, the smartest, the most resourceful, the most attractive, the most clever, or the most manipulative person that survived the death camps? No, not at all. It's the ones that discover or rediscover meaning and purpose in the midst of suffering that survive. Those that have a completely new meaning in spite of the harshness of loss. It had nothing to do how well put together you are. And I think that creates the framework for finding new life. Even though you are walking through pain, suffering, loss, or whatever it is today. My prayer is that wherever you are, whatever it is you're going through, and whether it's a loss of a parent, it very well may be, or a friend of yours is walking through very hard moments, that this message introduces, one, the idea that you can't make it on your own, and two, that in Christ, there is new meaning. And let's consider a few observations from the text that Brooke uh, read today. We will look at the life of Isaac and what scripture tells of his journey through loss. And three points, three observations. A good life, reconciliation and loss, promise endures. A good life. Uh, Luckily, we get to start on a more positive note. It's been kind of low so far. Um, The good life, uh, John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in the Portland area, uh, when talking about the subject of understanding our time, our cultural moment, says that there are three critical questions. Who are we? Who is God? And what is the good life? These simple questions and how you answer them, they define your worldview. These questions will expose where the gospel is true in your life and where the gospel just is not true in your life. Who are we is a question of who is humanity to humanity? Who is God is a question as to who does God say he is and also who is God in relationship to man? Who is God in relationship to creation? Is God real? Does God care? And finally, the question, what is the good life? With respect to both God and man, what makes a life good? What are the marks of success, making it? Um, What will make you content to have achieved by the end of your life? 
And all three questions show, let's not, not what you say you believe, but what you actually believe. And among all three questions, it's also important to know which three of the questions is most important to you, not just in belief, but also in practice. And here is where we open with our text today. This is what verses seven and eight say. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. God blessed Abraham in his life with a very, very long life, 175 years, a very long time. He died an old man full of years and at a good old age. And it's easy to forget that this is a fulfilled promise of God. Genesis is telling us that God is faithful, that God provides, and not only that, but that his provision is connected to his name. Quite some time ago, Randall talked about the promise in Genesis 15. Part of that promise is included in not only how Abraham will live, but even how Abraham will pass away. And that God's providence and presence is there too. And this is what Genesis 15 says, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Genesis 25 not only revisits the promise from Genesis 15, but it also evidences that part of that promise has been fulfilled. And there are two things being provided. Yes, a good life, full of years, we've established that. And also being gathered to his people. Biblical commentator Ian Dugud, which I'm probably saying that wrong, he said this, his death was in line with what God had promised long before. You, however, will to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. What is more, his funeral was marked by precisely the peace promised in Genesis 15. So let's revisit that last part for a moment. His funeral was marked precisely by the peace promised in Genesis 15. This is such a wonderful insight. When we look at the good life part of today, it's easy to project the notion that in God's promises, the what is more important than the why. Even in the many things God brought to Abraham's life, there underneath that, you see God's faithfulness, his goodness. God gave Abraham rest and peace. Let's remember that we're talking about Isaac today. 
knowing, Isaac knowing that his father was at peace when he died had to be so reassuring. And of, co- and of course, Isaac grieved and missed his father and his death and his departure. But the hope Isaac felt, but the hope that Isaac had about his father's death, about the peace he had, that's what every father prays for. And maybe you're a father today, or maybe you lost your father recently, and you had that hope that Isaac received, or maybe you're searching for the answers for your soul to be well with a conversation you wish could happen but can't anymore. So our next point today is reconciliation and loss. When I worked as a chaplain in the hospital, I was surrounded by a lot of suffering, a lot of loss, and a ton of broken people coming from broken families. And there's one observation that I think is is worth noting here. Facing the loss of a parent or a family member, when you're going through that, it makes reconciliation with your other family members is a little bit easier. And maybe that's just comparative because you realize how small the things that you're fighting over are compared to the hole that now rests in your life. But even if that reconciliation is just a little bit easier, it's worth noting. And this is where a lot of depth in today's passage is going to be. How do you discover new life while you are facing loss? It's a paradox. How do you find life when life is no more? The hard truth, and sometimes it takes a while to realize this, is you can't live the way you used to. Things are different now. Life isn't the same. Family has changed. Literally, the family system's different. The way you see childhood memories, different. Uh, Milestone moments, maybe you're celebrating a very important time, like graduation, and then maybe your parent can't be there with you, and that's hard. Even having a family presently and the way that you do parent has a connection to your parents and that's either positive or negative. Loss entails fracture, emptiness, pain because you can't go back to normal anymore. Normal is either in the hospital, maybe normal is buried, and it's quite possible that maybe normal even left you. So here's the next part of our text today. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. A lot of today's text that Brooke read is quite straightforward and, well, short to a point where you can't quite convey the feeling or emotion to the same extent of the grief that Randall shared about Abraham for his wife. 
nor the same kind as the psalmists pour out over the pages of the Psalms. And if you're not familiar with the Psalms, there's literally every possible emotion within the human experience is in one of the Psalms, if not multiple emotions in the same Psalm. So there's a lot going on here that the Bible is reflecting and speaking about Isaac in his life, but even how he navigates loss. And I feel like this verse or two reads a lot like an obituary. I know that's, that's morbid. <laughs> Just going to put it out there. Uh, but there's something really important to that analogy. And if you think about it, there's only really two ways to read an obituary. The first way, if you're reading a newspaper, assuming you read newspapers, <laughs> if you aren't familiar with the person that passes away, you completely walk past the obituary. The names, dates, places, they mean nothing to you. So you just go on whatever you're doing or whatever you're looking for in the newspaper. Now, the other way to read an obituary is when you are intimately familiar with the person that died. There's story, there's feeling, connection, heartbreak, memories, hopes. And if it's a family member or a parent, the names, dates, places are saturated with meaning. The same thing is happening here, but it's so easy to miss it. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, laid him to rest in the cave of Machpelah. Isaac and Ishmael are estranged brothers. We don't really know to what extent or the connection they have as brothers or the dynamic of their relationship. Ishmael is the son of Hagar. God graciously provided for Hagar and Ishmael needs even even in the midst of Sarah's spite and Sarah's jealousy. So in contemporary terms, you may say they were abandoned, that's very harsh, um, or at least neglected. Isaac, the son of promise, whom Abraham, aside from gifts, read verses five and six, was given the entire estate. There had to be clear attention, discontent, estrangement between these brothers. Not that either of them brought this upon themselves, but what their parents did or didn't do. I think it's safe to say a lot of us have wounds too. And maybe more similar to Isaac and Ishmael than we would like to be honest about. There's a narrative in our culture, how we handle people in our life that aren't the way we would like them to be. And we label it as toxic culture. If you're toxic to my emotional health, basically you'll cut them off and throw them away. That's so harmful. And it's going to lead to a lot of regret over either missed time or time that can never happen. Maybe there's a relationship or maybe just a great deal of tension or simply just sin in your family. There are choices your parents made already, maybe they're making right now, or they're going to make that define the way that you see them. 
and quite possibly it will drastically change the way that you see your parents. So Dallas Willard uh, calls this sins of both commission and omission. He has a whole book about it. Sins of doing something, commission. Sins of not doing something, omission. And they can be equally painful. For some people, they will never heal from words spoken or never spoken from their parents. All right, let's get to the good news. There is clearly reconciliation to some degree that happens between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael buried their father together. And reconciliation in scripture is about coming together. There's a oneness, uh, reforging community, reforging relationship. In the gospel, our sins separate us from God. We were completely separated from God. But Jesus reconciled us to God. He did that by dying for us. He chose that, he chose us in that sacrifice, in that beautiful and perfect relationship. Being centered on the gospel, gospel centrality, is about being centered on the nature and the character of Christ. It's about seeing that nature and character integrate into your own life. The reconciliation that Christ provides is so good. Maybe among your brothers, literal, you know, blood, blood relation, or spiritually, you are in the same deep need of reconciliation, the same deep need of new meaning and understanding life. Not just, maybe it's not so much the relationship of son to father, but maybe the strained relationship is brother to brother. So this is what 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 16 through 21 says. I think it's so, it's so critical. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, has died. Behold, the new has come, new life. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is a verse we all know. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This then and this alone is where new life is, perfectly in Jesus So how can you find community, connection, relationship, closure, forgiveness, hope, when your loved loved one is brutally suffering or maybe they're no longer here with you? You have to find Jesus 
in your sadness, in your desperation. One of the hard things I had to learn after I lost my father was to not pray what I wanted, begged, dreamed, desired, to have that one last conversation, that one last moment that can't happen or answers to my questions, to feel that in order that I felt that I needed in order to move on. What I needed to do was see that God was there with me. Any of those prayers were only something that God can provide. But I failed to see that I was really using God. I missed that point for a long time. Parents, it doesn't matter how good they are, can never fulfill or substitute the presence of God. And they were never meant to. Just like nothing else can. Do you desire your relationship to God to be more essential and more formative to your life than your parents? I never needed God any less today than I did at that point when my father just died. Be reconciled. Be united with Christ, even in your suffering, your pain, your loss. Jesus is making you new. He's giving you a new identity, a new perspective, a new hope, a new life, but you have to abide in him. Take his yoke, his teachings, his truth upon you. It's light. The gospel does change everything. Jesus, uh, Jesus died so that you could have the one thing that matters, to be with him. To know him, to live in such a way that is deeply dependent upon him. And that's not just a way of living after death. The kingdom has as much to do about living today as it does after you die. Eternal life isn't something that just happens once you die. Eternal life has been going on for quite some time now. Eternal life is salvation, and salvation is the gospel. And there is no other true gospel than the gospel of Christ. New life in Jesus is not just a matter of accepting Christ, but trusting Christ even in your frailties. Gospel renewal is the only way to navigate, heal, and move forward from suffering, and namely in this context, from the loss of a parent. So our final point today is this, uh, promise endures. The promise endured even after Abraham passed away and was no longer with Isaac. Isaac was blessed by God. Verse uh, verse 11 says this, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahai Roy. The promise did not end with Abraham, nor did it end with Isaac. A relationship with God is covenant. It's not just between you and God, like it's a one-off sort of thing. 
Sometimes we do treat our relationship with God like that. It's just purely individual. Jesus didn't die for just one person. But that all who believe in him would have eternal life. To live in the kingdom, and, and we miss this, I think, sometimes too, the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of heaven all the time in his parables. And about all scholars view the promise in Genesis as being fulfilled in Christ. It's all over the New Testament between teachings of Christ himself, uh, the Gospels, the book of Hebrews, and all over the epistles. And in Hebrews specifically, in chapter 11, this is what it says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. I'm sure he felt like he was in the land of promise and tents. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Isaac's blessing would even continue well beyond his own life to his sons and their sons and their sons and so many generations to come. And being on the other side of this, we see the expansive beauty of that promise. In Christ, we too are covered under promise. And let's talk about the kind of dependence the promise entails. Abraham was told that he would be the father of many nations. And he would be, we know that. But he never lived to see that. Isaac would only live to see a few sons, yet he too would share a similar story to his father. Isaac walked in the assurance of that promise after his father passed away, trusting the Lord, yet he only lived to see so much fruit from the promise. It's easy to feel far removed from the promise to the point that it's not relatable. But the truth is that it's painfully relatable. Think of how God has worked in your life, answered prayers, not answered prayers, what you asked for. God's timing in ways, they're just simply put not the way we do things. He is teaching us a lot about his character and and his timing too, just as he did with Isaac. And I feel that's why the last few words in this verse are so important. Where Isaac lived in Bir Lahai Roy is where Hagar was exactly geographically when she prayed her, her prayers not knowing how she and her son were going to make it. And that's where we sit as we suffer. We see others suffer and grieve over past circumstances, and maybe you're grieving over new circumstances. Hear God's voice, pray diligently and desperately, and not prayers for God to work the way that you want him to, but honestly let God be who he truly is. Discover his character and his heart. Christ's reconciliation 
brings us in communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's promise invites us into a whole life transformation, a new creation. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't extinguish the Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit. But we often do, especially when the days are hard. How can you hear God if you don't know how to listen? Walking through suffering and loss is very much a season of listening and discovery of the deeper depths of the gospel. So I want to leave you with a a simple takeaway. Three parts in all, but they're connected with each other. This takeaway is understanding a Christ-centered view of loss. Within the life of Jesus, he perfected and continues to perfect what it means to journey through suffering. And we see that through these three moments, uh, movements, journeying, suffering, and finally, new life, let's start with the first of these, journeying, so is a verb, not as a noun. Journeying is an essential part of walking with God and others through the shadow. So much of what we think about suffering and loss deals only with the end. You you process loss only in terms of death itself, and it may not be a literal death. It might be an end to the way things used to be. It might be more metaphorical in in that regard. Journeying well before death is so important and it affects your response deeply and even just your simple conceptualization of loss. The way we view the past affects the way we live in the present and the way we understand the present is affected by what already happened in the past. So what does that mean? It's okay, philosophical, I guess, but it's not helpful. Live well in the present with people while they're still living. Not after they've already passed away, not after the diagnosis, not after the six months left from the doctor. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's picking up the phone or just answering it for the first time in a while. Maybe it's having that hard conversation in grace. Maybe it's just showing more grace. Maybe it's asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness. Maybe it's just sitting down and being fully present with your loved ones that are facing suffering. Jesus was really good at walking with people. He was completely present with people, present to people. He wasn't, he was uh, interruptible He wasn't hurried, he wasn't anxious, he wasn't stressed. Jesus asked a lot of questions in his ministry. And he asked questions he already knew the answer to. John 1 says that the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. Jesus humbled himself and walked not just among us, a crowd, but with us side by side. Jesus is a perfectly relatable savior and he loves you more than you can fathom. 
The second movement is suffering. Not too long ago, during Passion Week, we as a church had a Good Friday service. And as we walked through in the scriptures, we saw that Jesus suffered unto death so that we could be saved. And he did die. Yet he asked the Father's will to be done, even to that price, even to that extent. A great darkness fell over the land. There is a right way to suffer, a right way to grieve, a right way to have our hearts break for what breaks God's. But even in that darkness, we have to trust that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is enough to bear our burdens, that he already took care of it, And here is a lengthy, quite lengthy, quote from Tim Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Now, um, these words aren't Keller's. These words are uh, 18th century Scottish preacher. So the language is a little archaic. um, So don't be surprised if it looks like there's typos. (laughs) He was without any comforts of God. No feeling that God loved him no feeling that God pitied him, no feeling that God supported him. God was his son before. Now that son became all darkness. He was without God. He was as if he had no God. All that God had been to him before was taken away from him now. He was godless, deprived of his God. He had the feeling of the condemned. When the judge says, depart from me, ye cursed, you shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, he felt that God said the same to him. I feel like a child casting a stone into some deep ravine in the mountainside and listening to hear its fall, but listening all in vain. Ah, this is the hell that Christ suffered. The ocean of Christ's suffering is unfathomable. He was forsaken in the place of sinners. If you close with him as your surety, you will never be forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer for me, for me, the ocean of Christ's suffering is unfathomable. And lastly, before we close today, the final movement how Jesus demonstrates, in the view of suffering, new life. We know that on Sunday, Jesus rose again. He conquered death. There can be no new life in something if death hasn't been conquered. And he spent time with his disciples before going back to the Father. And he spoke, even after that, to Paul and Damascus and to John and giving a revelation of the things to come In Jesus, there is new life because he overcame death. Death is not the end, but the beginning of something else entirely. Discovering Jesus and knowing he's covered you in his grace, we have a hope that is unshakable because death is temporary, suffering, temporary, pain, again, temporary. I think Revelation 22 has such an important reminder. And this is what it says, or at least a couple of verses from it. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We need that reminder that what we experience right now, it isn't everything. There is more to come one day. Jesus will return. The dead will rise. Heaven and earth will converge. A renewed earth. Darkness and death will be a thing of the past. And God will be with us, and just as he already is. Sometimes we need to remember this promise too, that Jesus will be back. And let's close this time for real with one final quote that uh, I think Dallas Willard touches on so well um, about the new life that is presently and that is to come. And this is what he said in his book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy. Those who have apprenticed themselves to Jesus, disciples of Christ, learn an undying life with a future as good and as large as God himself. The experiences we have of a life, of this life, as his co-conspirators now fill us with anticipation of a future so full of beauty and goodness we can hardly imagine. Let us pray. Father, you are, you are the, the good Father. Um, I pray just that uh, we can just rest and trust in you as our refuge and our strength. Um, I pray specifically for those in the body that are walking through a time of loss or hardship or suffering or friends or loved ones that are. Lord, I pray that um, just in their daily moments, um, they experience your presence and and prayer, um, even just in your scriptures as well. I pray that in our bright days and in our hard days, we experience your presence as ever boldly as the hardest moment in our life, as in the mundane, as in the really easy, the really good stuff. Lord, I pray for your peace. I pray for your hope. I pray for life, and I pray for restoration um, for us. And it's, uh, it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.